Dumelang Avusheni and hello hi I'm Zanzi Nolutando Ngakani here and welcome back to Sisters Without Shame, a no holds barred podcast that is proudly brought to you by Healthform Zanzi. I'm here to walk through your shame with you as you seek answers to those scary questions you are too afraid to ask about in public. I have got you through all those uncertainties. Hello, hello, December. Sure, ladies, fellows, and gentle theys, I simply cannot believe it is the end of the road for 2022. In just three weeks, we will be wrapping a neat little bow on this year. But before you head off into the festive season and enjoy your summer, I thought we could have a chat about food relationships. I don't know about you, but I make this promise that I'm going to eat better and cut out sugar. Come much, yo, I'm already stuffing my face with any kind of sweet I can get my hands on. It's just so hard to actually stick to a commitment that you've made at the beginning of the year. And I had to, I guess, bring out the big guns, guys, (laughs) for this chat. This week, we unpack what it means to have a healthy relationship with your food. Our guests are spokesperson from the Association of Dietetics in South Africa and registered dietitian Rieta Haramsam, as well as clinical dietitian Rosalind Van Skoer. Rieta is the managing director of On Bon Sante Dietitians in Josie, while Rosalind, who is also known as Rosa Dietitian, is a foodie dietitian who is based in Gebecha. Rosalind, what are food relationships? And what does it mean to have a healthy relationship with your food? In terms of what a healthy relationship with food means, it means that you can eat foods that you enjoy and that make you feel good mentally and physically. So basically not to label foods as good and bad, just to make eating a very positive experience. Maybe the same question for you, Rieta. Can you share perspective on what it means to have a healthy relationship with your food? What I just like to add is you don't feel the need to justify your food choices. I know that this is often something that happens if you go out with family and you now have to say why suddenly you eat your choppy without the fat on or why suddenly you choose to opt for the whole wheat pasta or ask for your dressing on the side. And those might seem like very like diet culture type of thoughts. However, I think there's oftentimes when people who sometimes really enjoy salad get ridiculed for eating diet foods, where someone else who might actually be eating something a bit more indulgent, you mentioned not focusing on good or bad foods, but maybe eating something that would generally seen as a bad food, where those people might actually be judged for that choice. So in terms of that, where we meet that all with everyone's on the same level, there's no moral high ground, no label on food. And therefore, it will actually help you to not obsess over what you eat. I think that's definitely a sign of a healthy relationship with food that people don't necessarily think about, but you don't feel the need to justify or to eat something just to fit in. So definitely, that's something that I'd like to add. Rieta, when we think about these quote-unquote good foods, we typically tend to imagine that the foods need to be organic. Does food necessarily have to be organic and pricey for it to be considered healthy? There are just certain ones who are maybe not on the specific list of of pesticides that people are aware of. It's like 
some foods that sometimes also contain additives, which are normally really demonized if we think about the term of processing. But even just the washed lettuce that you buy in the grocery shop is actually seen as processed food because it does count as processing. There's something that happened with it. So in terms of organic food versus your everyday fresh produce, if you're going to choose between eating produce and not eating produce, I would actually recommend please have the one that's then non-organic, have the one that's the normal food. If you already have your vegetable garden and you're cooking and eating your own crops, please, I'm not in any way, shape or form recommending that you move backwards. But with that, we're just saying that organic has this health halo. It's actually not that much better of normal produce already. As the designated foodie dietitian in this dialogue, I'm curious to hear your insights on organic produce, Roslyn. I think Vesa brought up some brilliant points. It's all kind of what I've written down as well. So that organic foods are not significantly more nutritious at all than other foods and non-organic foods are not necessarily unhealthy. I think we should more focus on trying to eat a variety of foods. So that's all your fruits, all your vegetables. doesn't matter if it's organic or not. I think we should more focus on including in our diets that contribute to our health rather than what we should restrict. Yo, Badrieta. There's just something about eating those white-shelled eggs that makes you feel so elite. But those prices, though, whoa. The one thing for me is, it's actually also something that I thought I'd raise, but I think it's a good place to start that discussion now. If you specifically prefer organic foods or you specifically prefer those elite eggs, then the thing that I want to tell you is have that. When you have a good relationship with food, and as I said, you don't have to justify your choices to anyone, it's about having the items that you enjoy and feeling good when having those. There are certain yogurt brands that I choose over others, not for any other reason than the fact that I enjoy the taste. And that's actually one of the marks of having a good relationship with food, being able to choose the items that you enjoy and not having to justify that to anyone. If it's because you feel that there are health concerns, then definitely it's where we say, let's look at the science, let's look at what the evidence says. But if you specifically enjoy it, have it by all means. Let's talk about the costs involved in building a healthy food relationship. Is it at all expensive, Rosalind? So I'm not sure that having a healthy relationship with food is expensive. It is possible to have a healthy relationship with food without spending a whole bunch of money, like going to the shops and saying, okay, I'm going to buy every healthy looking food here and that's my healthy relationship with food. I think we can try to adjust our current habits, so like small consistent changes to include healthier items in our diet without having to spend a lot of money. Yeah, I don't think it necessarily has to be elite or expensive, especially if, for example, you have a vegetable garden and that's also going to be easy on the pockets as well. Rita, let's shift focus to the festive season. I mean, it is year and we are gearing up for holidays and obviously we're bound to go off and make mistakes in the big bad world. How do you overcome the feelings of especially guilt from munching on foods that are considered to be quote unquote bad for you? Yes, I love the fact that you brought the individualized aspect to it because if I look at my patient's needs, they are as unique as their fingerprints. If I look at their wants and their desires, and to realize that we have these foods in our mind that we would maybe classify as healthier versus unhealthier, and maybe if we go that drastic, good and bad, well, I think it's very important to remember that the mark of a good diet is not necessarily about what you consume on a one specific day, but it's actually about consistency. If I every single day eat something that's maybe deemed, as you said, in inverted commas, bad, if I every single day eat chocolates, 
my body will actually communicate with me. Listen, Rieta, I'm not enjoying this. Um, maybe my energy levels will tank. Maybe I might have skin breakouts. Maybe over the long term, I might see that I have a higher insulin and a higher sugar level. And over the long term, something like an increased HbA1c. Don't want to go into detail in terms of that. But just want to raise that it's worthwhile for us to remember that there are definitely nutritional differences between something like a chocolate versus something like an apple. But we'll get to this later in the discussion as well. But the moment when you tell yourselves, whatever you do, you're not allowed to have this red list type of food, it actually increases the preoccupation with that. It actually enhances that food's desirability factor, which then leads to, at a later stage, possibly binging on that item. So I think a big thing is to realize that if we allow ourselves to have certain foods, my one patient actually called it marginal utility and very big economic terms. And the way that I actually like try to understand and wrap my brain around that was supply demand. If there's less supply of something, there's going to be a massive increased demand for it versus if I actually allow myself to have something anytime, I don't have to make it count. I don't have to overindulge. I don't have to be preoccupied with that food because there's inherently no moral difference between the two foods. South Africans love their food. I mean, meat over everything. But Rieta, how do you break this cycle of constantly feeling like you are depriving yourself from all the good foods when you have decided to go on a health journey? You know, everybody's making resolutions at the moment. We're thinking about January. How do you break this cycle of, you know, falling off the wagon after you've had a festive season of indulgence? I think something very important to take into account, especially in a scenario like that, is point number one. You might have heard of something called the dieter's dilemma. It starts with exactly as you're saying, after December, I have a need. I want to change my body. I want to gain muscle. I want to lose fat. I want to trim down or whatever it is. And that's often met with restriction. As you say, cut out, just eat salads, just eat that. However, if that is something that is actually something that I love, in my case, if I have to cut out coffee, the chances of me being able to stick to that long term is way less than if I actually do something that is sustainable. If a diet tells me don't eat raisins, it's going to be very easy for me because I don't like raisins in the first place. So in terms of that, why that cycle is met after the restriction is often met by someone falling off the wagon or failing at their diet or whatever you want to call it. And that's then met with a lot of feelings of failure, a lot of feelings of guilt, which then after a while people start internalizing. They tell themselves, I don't have willpower. I don't have self-discipline. And they just go back, restrict even more. And ultimately this entire cycle continues in oblivion. And that's why a lot of people feel despondent. That's why a lot of people are of meaning that diets don't work. And I agree if it's something that's just a diet, a diet is not something you just go on. It's something that's a long-term life assessment. So my advice would be to actually do things that seem doable, like a 1% increment difference. I've read a book that I love that's called Atomic Habits that just says, like, what is the one small change that you can do that you can stick with for an entire year? So whether that is, you know what, I'm going to incorporate more salads rather than eating just salads. I'm going to, instead of taking the elevator or the lift, I'm going to take the stairs. I'm going to drink more water. I'm going to insert X, Y, Z here. Small habits that seem more and minuscule, but that over a long period add up and that can heal lasting differences. And that is why dietitians use the dreaded phrase, it should be a lifestyle. But it is because it should. It should be something that you can implement over a long period of time that then after that becomes your new normal. 
So that would be my, my piece of advice on forbidden foods, on restriction and on how to make a lifestyle change. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Sisters Without Shame, Rosen Rieta. Now, if you are looking for more on our conversation about building a healthy relationship with your food, visit healthformzanzi.co.za, of course. And dear friends, remember, if you are in a medical bind or even just looking for a shoulder to cry on, you can send an email to hello at healthformzanzi.co.za. Alternatively, you can hit us up on WhatsApp. We've got a fully dedicated line, 063. 633 Nah, I will never blue tick you, babes. Bona, food is love, guys. A good relationship with food involves having unconditional permission to eat the foods that make you feel good physically and mentally. No foods are off-limit and you feel no guilt when you eat those foods that are typically labeled good or bad. Like Roz and Rieta said, having a good relationship with food isn't something you can achieve overnight. You must think long-term, chief. Rather, it's something that you would have to work on your entire life. Anywho, that brings us to the end of episode 71 of Sisters Without Shame. Proudly brought to you by Health from Zanzi. From me, Nolu Tando Ngakani, have a great week and remember to show your girl some love by sharing this podcast with a friend. <laughs>